you know, there are good days and there are bad days. Uh, we have these good days where we wake up on time, the sun is up, we get out of the house on time, the kids are where they're supposed to be, and the, the, the favorite shirt is actually clean, and everything works into alignment. Traffic is, is just right to get you to work on time. The boss loves all of your ideas, and you get out of work early, and you get home to some culinary masterpiece for dinner, and then everybody is obedient. The kids want your advice. They want to listen to you, and you go to bed patting yourself on the back thinking, ah, I've got this all figured out. <laughs> and then there are days where we sleep through the alarm, traffic is backed up, we spill the coffee on our favorite shirts, the computers don't work correctly. The boss thinks your ideas are horrible. Nobody pays attention to you. You have to work late, and you get home for whatever can be put in the microwave. And you go to bed feeling defeated and beat down and in despair, thinking, woe is me, I am cursed and worthless. We've all had those days, right? We've had those good days, we've had those bad days where things just don't go as planned. Things don't go correctly. In social psychology, there is this idea of the fundamental attribution error. This is where we attribute all the good things to our own worth and our own doing. So when I perform really well and the day goes well, I attribute that to how good I did at that. And if it goes poorly, I attribute that to some cause that's out of my control. So oh, that wasn't my fault, right? This computer thing today, not my fault, right? Or worse, we, we look at others and attribute all the positive things that they have done as just a coincidence. There's no way they were able to pull that off. And then the negative things about that person, we attribute to their character and who they are. And so there is this view of self that is inflated and this view of others that's deflated. Look at how great I am. In my own effort, I was able to pull this off. Oh, didn't go so well? Ah, that was somebody else's fault, not mine. I slept through the alarm, not my fault. And so we have these attributions that go from one to the other. Today we are continuing our stories by Jesus. We're concluding today with Luke chapter 18, if you want to start turning there because it's not on the screens. So Luke chapter 18 is where we're going to be as we continue these stories, looking at uh, the gospel of Luke and stories that Jesus tells us. As we go through this parable, I want you to do three things. Uh, the first is to just think about how the passage applies to you. Parables are designed to draw you in and mess with you a bit. And so as we go through this story, enter into the story and let it mess with you some. How does this story apply to you? Second thing is notice these two characters that are here. There's, there's these two characters that are, we're going to be drawn to. They're very contrasting. And think about how you might connect or, 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 or relate to one of these two characters and really try to put yourself in their shoes of 
why they are who they are. And then listen to what Jesus has to say about who God is. Jesus is going to have some comments. It may, be, it may be implicit in there, but listen to what we learn about God as Jesus speaks in this story. Let's look at Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector, he stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So we've got these two contrasting characters here. One afternoon, there was a carpet layer who was installing carpet for a lady, and he stepped out to smoke a cigarette and realized that he had lost his package of cigarettes. And so he goes into the room that he has been working in and The carpet is already laid, except there is this bump right in the middle of the floor. And so stripping up the carpet and laying it again, that's just not going to work. So he gets his hammer and pounds out this hump in the middle of the carpet, right? And so the lady comes in and says, hey, I found your pack of cigarettes laying in the hall. Now if I could only find my parakeets. We make some mistakes in life, right? Oops. Maybe didn't uh, perform that job quite the way it should have been performed. And in essence, all that can be said at a moment like that is, my bad. My bad is this slang term that's been around since the 70s, but it was made popular in the 90s by the movie Clueless. It's an expression that just says, my mistake, I screwed it up, and implicit in that is an apology. I wouldn't recommend that being your only apology, but but implied in a my bad is my mistake, I apologize. And so it's a way of acknowledging that you have messed up, a way that things have not gone the way they were planned. Uh, My bad, whatever that hump was in the carpet, I don't know. (laughs) And so in our parable today, Jesus is comparing these two different characters. And he's speaking to a group of people that have been labeled as ones who are self-righteous 
and they regard others with contempt. That already defines the conversation for us, right? Who's the audience? People who think they're really good and others are really bad. Think back to that attribution problem where what I do is better than everyone else and what you do is worse than everyone else. These are the people that he's talking to. He's talking to us. Because statistically speaking, studies show that everyone thinks they're better than others. Nine out of ten people think that they're better than the average. Nine out of ten managers think that they're better managers than their other managers. Nine out of ten can't be better than the other nine out of ten. But they think they are. Or even those who have been hospitalized for a car accident they still think they are safer and better drivers than the average driver, even though evidence is showing they're not. We think that we're better than others. It's just kind of how we're wired. It's who we are. And so he's addressing these people who think that they're really good and others are bad, so he's talking to people like us. And he tells this story of these two men who go up to the temple to pray. Jesus paints this picture for us. They're going up to pray. And the one, one of the characters is this Pharisee, the Pharisee who is, is referring to this extremist sort of person, this militant member of this religious movement. The, the Pharisee is, is a caricature of, of an extreme religious person. And the other one, the other character we have is a tax collector. And so they find themselves in a similar place. They find themselves in a similar time. They're going with the same intention of worship and prayer. But they're extreme examples that are very unflattering for both. Neither is the hero of this story. And so as we, we put ourselves into this story, neither one is really the one that we want to be. Because they both have problems. The first, this Pharisee, is incredibly confident in his relation to God. He believes that he is, is doing it all right and he outranks the others. He's going above and beyond. But, but if you look at the story, it says that he stood by himself and prayed. There's a distance that he has. He's standing by himself to pray a little bit removed from what's going on. It's a phrase that can, be, that, that can mean something like taking a stance to himself, like he's off by himself, or it could be something more like he prayed to himself, neither of which are good. To isolate yourself from others in your religiousness or to just make it about yourself and to pray to yourself is distancing yourself from God. So either way, he is distancing himself from God. He's distancing himself from others. And in his self-righteousness, he has isolated himself. He's praying to himself. He's moved past where everyone else is, in particular, the tax collector, who we see standing by himself. And so this wave of spiritual pride in him grows into this hypocrisy that in his self-righteous attitude, he's actually become something bad. 
His contempt for others has become a sin, and now he, he says that he is better, but in reality, he has stooped down too low. He boasts about his religious practices that go way beyond expectation. And he attributes to himself all the good that has been done. Look at where I am because of what I have done. And he compares himself to the others. Now, the second character is this tax collector who's, who's no polished person. We don't know a lot about him, but he is in that category of other person that the Pharisee refers to. This is, another, this is part of the other people. And there's good reason to distrust him because the tax collector was part of the revenue system of that occupying force of Rome. He was participating in this, this cruel and corrupt system. The tax collector is not an admirable character in the story. He, they were considered greedy. They were considered inflexible. But in this story, we see an example of the reversal that is produced by the gospel, where the, those who exalt themselves are humbled, and those who humble themselves are exalted. Everything flips upside down. He's standing far off. But what is he standing far off from? Who is he standing far off from? Is he standing far off from the Pharisee who's looking down his nose at him? Is he standing far off from other believers? Maybe he's standing far off from God. He keeps things at a distance because he feels so unworthy to be present. Is it a distance that's caused by fear? Is it a distance that's caused by shame? Or maybe just modesty and humility? None of that is what really counts, though. It's not his position that's important. It's not about his distance that is important. What, it is, what is important is his orientation to God. His attitude toward God and about God is what is critical here. And it's a simple prayer that he gives. God, have mercy on me. It echoes Psalm 51. Have mercy on me. I am unclean. I am unworthy. I deserve death. The judge can sentence me. I am guilty. But have mercy on me. This is the tax collector's prayer. He knows his guilt. He knows that he's unworthy. And he knows that he is entirely dependent on the grace of God. Not in his actions, not in his religiousness, not in his position of standing off or standing close. He is at the mercy of God. We have here a twin of the prodigal son. The prodigal son who, who has to consider himself nothing, considers himself nothing, and just hopes to be the object of his father's mercy. And so here we have this man asking God to be favorable to him, to be merciful, to be gracious. He's essentially saying, my bad. I did it. I'm sorry. And I'm at your mercy. And so of the two characters... Which one really has a greater connection to God? 
which one really gets it? Which one is actually close to God? We think that it should be the religious and the pious, the one who's doing things correctly, the one who shows up to church on time multiple times a week. This is the one who should make it. This is the one who is close to God. Look at how polished they are. He goes above and beyond what is expected of him. Yes, he is the one who is close to God, doing things correctly, living life appropriately. But the parable gives us a twist. In true form, Jesus flips things over for us and says the character that you think should be the right character the one that you think should be close to God is, is really the one who has distanced himself so far that there's no connection anymore. He's missed it. He's further from God than you would expect. It's actually the tax collector who is justified. It's the tax collector who cries out, have mercy on me, that finds himself into a relationship with God. It's the Pharisee that moves further to, or the Pharisee moves further from God as the tax collector moves further to God. And I think the lesson for, for many of us here is, is how easy it is for the religious to lose sight of their relationship to God and to others. That in our spiritual practices, which are valuable, in those practices, in those routines, in the things that we do day after day, week after week, we actually lose sight of the God that we're trying to have a relationship with. We lose sight of the others around us. We have distanced ourselves from God. We have distanced ourselves from others because it's all about church and not about Jesus. That we get into our ruts. We get into our behaviors. We get into what we do that's the right church thing to do. Being here on Sunday morning, going to a small group, coming back on Wednesday night, going through all of our disciplines, and it becomes about the practice that we lose sight of the relationship. We lose sight of who God is. The Pharisee was a very religious person. He went through all the practices correctly, but in doing that, it had become about him and what he was able to do and not about the mercy of God. That if I can do things correctly, if I can jump through all the hoops, then it's about me earning my salvation and me earning my relationship with God. And Jesus says, that's not where it's at. It is not in my effort, it's not in my power to earn this. It's not how well I do this church thing or how frequently I do this church thing. That's not what draws me to God. What draws me to God is a complete and total surrender saying, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I cannot do this on my own. I cannot figure this out. I've got it all wrong. I've got it all messed up. I need you because I can't do it myself. That's the orientation to God that we're called to. 
And this is not what a hearer of this parable would expect. We think that good behavior is what draws us closer to God. We think that it's bad behavior that drives us away from God. But Jesus is insisting that we have to be aware of our faults. We have to be humble enough to know that we need forgiveness. And we need to be dependent on the action of God, not on our own action. We have to be dependent on who he is. And when we're not, we're the ones standing at a distance. The activity rests solely on God. It's not our own activity. It's not our own piety. It's the activity of God. And so as we look at these characters, we have to be careful not to, not to see the Pharisee as a villain, not to see the tax collector as a hero, because they're both bad. They're both problems. It's both, they're both about their own action. But it's the action of God received on them in spite of, not because of. It's not because of the man's prayer. It's not because the tax collector prayed correctly. It's not because the Pharisee went through the religious hoops. It is because God's hand is on them, his forgiveness is on them, his grace is on them in spite of them. And so don't slip into the trap of saying, God, I thank you, I'm not like the Pharisee and then get sucked into that loop ourselves. And so of the two characters, it is the tax collector who returns home changed. It's the tax collector whose life is transformed. And so it is always better to say, my bad, than to boast about the good in our lives. We trust God. We surrender to God, to get to God. And when you trust in only yourselves and only your own actions, then there is a distance from God and a distance from others. We have to throw our hands up and say, have mercy on me. And so there's a few lessons here to learn from the Pharisee. Ways in which we turn this in the wrong direction. The first failure that we make is, is we fail to see the image of God in the people around us. That the Pharisee did not see the image of God in the people around him. He saw sinners. He saw screw-ups. He saw those who were a mess and distant from God instead of seeing in them the image of God. We like to see people as different. We see different skin tones, we see different hairstyles, we see tattoos and piercings and body shapes and makeup choices. We see all of these things and those create differences and distances and we step away, we step back from what is different. And we don't see in them someone that God is running toward. Someone that God is embracing And so what would it look like for us if we would look past the superficial differences, if we would look and see people as the image bearers of God? We're not any better or any worse, regardless of what that external look is like. 
A second failure that we make is that we, we judge others more harshly than we judge ourselves. So we have these really high expectations for others and really low expectations for ourselves. We see in others these mistakes and don't see those mistakes in ourselves. We attribute the bad to them, but only attribute the good to us. And so will we judge others more harshly than we judge ourselves? These are ways in which we distance ourselves from others and find ourselves on the wrong side of the story. And then the final thing is we have got to be honest with God and with ourselves about our need for forgiveness. And I think this is a place that is difficult for the religious. That we see ourselves as, as having been forgiven and we forget the prayer of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And so will we pray this prayer, God, have mercy on me, a sinner? Will we be honest with ourselves about who we really are? Will we be the Pharisee that says, I'm glad I'm not like all those sinners? And in the midst of that, neglect and not see the sin in our own lives? Or will we be honest about the things that are in our lives? Because we are all struggling with something. There are pieces of our lives that are not fully surrendered to God yet. Will we have the courage to confess those to him and say, we surrender these things to you? It can be lust or gluttony or greed or sloth or wrath or envy or pride. All of these, or at least one of these, will attack at us at fairly frequent intervals. And so will you honestly confront that and say, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. And this is a prayer that each of us can say. Each of us needs to be forgiven, whether we acknowledge it or not, just as the Pharisee needed to be cleansed of his sin of pride and so it's time for us to get honest. It's time for us to, to see who we are in relation to God, to see his perfection and to see our imperfection, to say it's not about my effort, to say it's not about what I do, but it's about surrendering to God. And in that surrender, our relationship is restored and rebuilt with him. We are drawn close to God. And in that view of others... We are drawn close to others. And so where do you stand? Do you stand at a distance? The opportunity comes to us here just as it came to the Pharisee, just as it came to the tax collector, as we're in a time of worship, as we're in a time of prayer. Where do we find ourselves standing? Do we stand far off or do we stand close? And it all begins with just an honestly spoken, my bad. We're going to have a time of prayer. And this is a time where it can be you praying to God in whatever is on your heart right now. As you honestly assess where you're at. It can be a time where you want to come and pray with one of the shepherds. You want to get together as a family or as a life group. Or, or get together with someone across the aisle and pray together. There's power in praying through this together.
But what is God saying to you? What is he stirring in your heart? What is he convicting you of? And then what are you going to do about it as you take action in that? How are you going to respond in obedience to what God is speaking to you about? Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the blessing of Jesus and his teachings for us. We thank you for this story that uh, pokes and prods and makes us uncomfortable. So God, I pray that you will continue to move in us, help to draw us close to you, and help us to be humble in your presence. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.